0: y'all have picked a great day to be here, but I want to give you a disclaimer right off the bat. So here's my disclaimer for this morning. Um, We understand we need fire for different things. If we didn't have some form of fire, then we wouldn't have heat in our homes in the winter. Um, Something has to heat something up, and it's some kind of fiery-type substance. And so we need that for our homes. We need that if you want to have some safe water to make sure... You know, things are, uh, nothing's living in that water. We we need fire or heat for all kinds of things. But that very same thing that we need, when we use it properly, it's really good and and it works really well. But you take fire out of uh, uh, some kind of protection and that very same fire can burn your house down. And that very same fire can harm your life. That very same fire can kill you if it's not used properly or contained properly. Some of the things that we're going to be talking about today, in fact, if not all, are things that God has given us and provided us, and they're things that He wants used and and exercised in a very specific way, in a safe way that He has designed it. Now you may be listening today and you may be saying, Harley, I, I I just I don't know where I am with all of this that you're talking about. And I and here's what I want to say, here's my disclaimer. You don't have to agree with me today, and it's not gonna be presented in a way that uh that is judgmental or shameful or harsh or maybe ways maybe you've heard some of this taught before. And so, even if you're struggling with some of what I'm going to be saying today, I just want you to know, it's okay. And it's okay. It's okay if you don't agree with me. It's okay because God has given us this freedom of choice, and I am so grateful for it. But it's okay. You're in a safe place to explore these things that we're going to be talking about today. So... I give you that as our disclaimer because w- you and I, we haven't had a conversation of where you are in all of this and versus where maybe I am and where I, and, and, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit later, but I, I'm just a human. <laughs> I, am, I am fallible and I make mistakes and I make errors and I have had some giant sins we all have. And so as I present this, I want you to understand that's where I'm coming from today. And so we're doing our best today to present you something as we understand it from God, how he has something protected and something special and he wants to protect that. Now this is going to make a little more sense as I continue, okay? So that's my disclaimer, and now you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, where are we going? (laughs) Where are we, after that, where are we about to head? But I want you to know this is a safe place for this, uh, this to be taught, and for you to begin, if you haven't already, to begin thinking about this. Okay, there's my disclaimer. Last week we said this, that deep inside of us, we have this feeling of kind of like an ought to, like I ought to do this, or I ought not do that, or, or man, I really should do this, and I shouldn't do that, and we said that that tension um, that we have, it's not there by accident. But we have to ask the question, where does that come from? And that's the question we asked last week. Where does all of that ought to, that should, I should, shouldn't, where does all of that come from? And we said we have a few choices. If that comes from me, if all of those feelings come from deep down inside of me and they originate with me, then that means this. It means that I just get to decide myself what those are. Another possibility is that maybe it's someone uh, like the government who gets to decide that for me. They decide what the shoulds and shouldn'ts and the oughts and the ought nots could be them. But if it's that case, then that means that either it's the majority rule, whoever has the most votes gets to decide what is and what isn't, or it's a minority rule. It means whoever has the most power gets to decide for us what they think. And the bottom line of that is is still, you just do what whomever is in power thinks is right or what they want to do. And so that ought to, should, all of that is so, it it changes with public opinion. But we said that's probably not the case. So last week we presented that that deep down inside feeling, really the seeds of that really come from outside of us, not from a government, but outside of us and more specifically they come from the divine. They come from God, and so here's our first kind of point. If any of these make sense to you, I encourage you just to snap a picture with your phone of the uh, of what's going to be on the screen. So here's the first one. We said last week that Jesus planted His law. This is what this is what the Bible tells us that Jesus in the New Covenant, Jesus planted His law about how to live, how to treat each other's in our hearts. He planted it in our hearts that's why we have this constant tension in our lives about knowing I should do this, but I'm not. And so there's tension. Or I ought to do this, and I'm struggling with it. So there's tension. I should, but I don't. Or I ought, or I ought not. And we said that ultimately, God has a plan for our lives that's designed by Him. He has a plan. But here's where we get the title of this series. He's got a plan for us, but God will absolutely let us be as bad as we want to be. He will allow that, and I know that's been true in my life. He allowed it. He allows me, He allows you, He allows us all to be a part of His plan, or we can just be as bad as we want to be, and He is going to let that happen. Now, for this series, we're talking about something very specifically as far as God's plan, and we're talking about this word called morality, morality. And when we say that, uh, Cole and I, if we' teach- as we're teaching, we're really talking about, we can also use the word purity, okay? Morality slash purity. That's what we're talking about. So we went last week to Google's suggested, definition of purity. And here's what they suggested from the Oxford Language Dictionary. They said this, that it is freedom from immorality, especially of a sexual nature. That's what Google suggests, and that's kind of what we're going with as a definition here. And so let let me be clear what we're talking about. We're talking about purity in our thoughts and purity in our actions and purity in our behaviors toward other people. All right, this will be a little more clear as we go. So, if this did come from outside of us, and if it came from the divine, if it came from God, then that means morality is not based upon my opinion. It's not based upon the opinion of other people. It's not based upon what people voted for or what uh, a dictator says this is what it's gonna be for a country. It's not based on any of that. It's based upon God, if he created morality. So that leads us to the question then, okay, if he created morality, then what is it? What is it? If it is this purity, what is that? And that's where, if you'll just stick with me today, we're gonna, we're gonna take a great big topic and we're gonna do our best to cover it in these few minutes. Um, and obviously, we're not going to take it into the minutiae of this topic, we're going to give you a summary today. We're going to look at two places this morning. The first place we're going to look, we determine, if we if we want to see how it all started, let's, let's just go back to the beginning. So we're going to go to the beginning. We're going to take a look at creation, what the creator has to say about creation. And then since morality is not anchored in me, it's not anchored in what the government says, we're going to look and see how is this decided what or more importantly what did God decide about this so we're going to look at the old covenant the beginning and then we're going to take from the same perspective Jesus what he said in the new covenant so we're going to go to two places today and we're going to come up with a summary of here's what God says that this is so here we go Um, we're going to do our best to summarize this um let's start in Genesis. Now in Genesis this uh, we're told in the new covenant that Jesus is actually creator, okay? This is a mind warp for a lot of us. It is for me I know. How can Jesus be in the new covenant and then but yet he was at creation? All right? This is what the new covenant tells us that he's the, the creative, the uh, the creative voice at creation. We're starting with Genesis here. Um, and then later we'll jump to Jesus in the New Covenant. But let's go first. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what is recorded for us historically about creation. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because this is not just, as we're going here, this is not just a, a cosmetic, not just a anatomical difference that we're going to be talking about, because as God creates male, we understand today that that goes all the way to the chromosome level, that when he created male, he created them with the XY chromosome. So he created male, and then it says, and then female as well, and we know that goes all the way to the chromosome level of the 2X chromosome. So this we see just in this very beginning, that this is kind of a genetic design by God. He's got a design here, a male and a female, and then it goes on, it says he created them. And what we're looking at, we're looking at just the very beginning of a very specific plan, a very specific design that God had as he created us. And so obviously this morning, if you're male, you've got an XY chromosome. If you're female, you have XX. And, I, and we kind of understand this, that our earthly bodies, um, they have an expiration date. We don't know what the expiration date is, but these bodies are going to expire. We can see the progression of that. We're living that. If you're my age, you're very aware of that progression. We know these bodies are going to expire. They're not here for like 90 years and then then, you know, that's it, though. There's more. It's not just like what we've got now is what it's always going to be. As we understand, as in God's story, that these bodies, we do have them in this form for a period of time. They don't really disappear. So we're going to continue this song. God has created us as an eternal soul. In other words, we're going to go on. Somehow that part of you that's looking through your eyes right now, that awareness, that consciousness, somehow you're going, that aspect of you is going to go on and on and on and live. But our souls are also not Ghosts, this is where I personally get lost. They're not ghosts. Our souls are not just a soul that has a body. We are actually embodied souls. Something about this body, we don't have this body just for now. Now, as I understand it, yes, just for now. But something about our body that God has created, something about this embodied soul is going to live eternally. Now, what I'm about to say, I want you to understand, we're holding with open hands here. So we're not creating doctrine, we're not creating... Uh, we're, we're doing our best to understand what Scripture tells us. And so I'm holding this with open hands, but let me tell you where I'm going with this. We keep some form of this body, some form, for eternity. We're not just a soul that happens to have a body. We are embodied souls. Now, this is really huge, so don't miss this. All of human creation, we are all embodied souls. Now let's take it a next step. We are, according to creation, sexed embodied souls. God created them male, and He created them female. You say, Harley, uh, yeah, I, I, maybe I, I could see some of that, but I'm not tracking with you through the eternity side of things. So the, it, let me just give you a little snapshot, just a tiny snapshot. Sexed embodied souls, not souls that just have a body, but we are not just going to have this soul that has a temporary cosmetic housing and then one day we go on to something else we go on to something else, but somehow it still involves this body that God has created for us in some kind of form. And here's how where we get some of this information. When Jesus Christ, who is also a sexed, he's male, embodied being, he's God himself, who put on the flesh and blood of man, when he walked out of the tomb, he did not walk out of the tomb as just a spiritual being, he walked out of the tomb as Jesus, a male. And as best we can understand in scripture, he went then after he spent some time here on earth and he was starting the church and then he went to be with the Father in heaven, he left here as an embodied Spiritual being, a male. And as we best we can understand in Scripture, he's coming back as an embodied male. And we're told in the New Covenant that as, you know, as what is happening for Jesus in his post resurrection body, that gives us a hint what's coming for us. And so we can extrapolate that to understand it's. That somehow, and we don't know the specifics or details, but somehow our eternal side of us is a soul that is embodied and it is also sexed. In other words, male or female. Now, that's a lot to take in. Now we're not creating doctrine. We're not create. We're doing none of that. We're doing our best to understand what we believe. Scripture kind of points to, and tells us. So Jesus, and looking at him and post-resurrection and what we have recorded about him in the New Covenant and and this the historical records that we have in the New Covenant, that's what we see. And so here we have now God and Jesus specifically. Again, this blows my mind. Who is at creation, creating, we have him creating Adam and Eve as sexed, embodied souls, and that's how he's created us as well. Now, let's go back to Genesis. We're going to jump a couple verses, and let's go to verse 31. And after he created Adam and Eve, here's what he said about it. Then God looked, verse 31, looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Now, all the other parts of creation, God says, yep, that was good. Yep, that was good. That was good. But after he created Adam and Eve, he said, bazinga, very good. We hit the very good. And it was very good. Adam and Eve at creation, they felt good. Not just God saying this is very good. They felt very good. Why? It was perfection. They. It, it was perfection. There was nothing wrong with it. It was perfection. They felt very good about God and their relationship to God. They felt very good about their relationship to each other, Adam and Eve. They felt very good about their relationship to creation. They felt very good about their relationship to themselves. They were like, God, yeah, you did very good. I feel good about me, very good I feel good about you, I feel good about all of this and it was very, very good but that was the last time by the time that was chapter 1, by the time we get to chapter 3 and from chapter 3 to this very day that was the last time that it was very good from then, chapter 3 to right now we don't feel very good anymore because creation in that, at that moment was broken. When Adam and Eve chose their way over God's way, their plan over God's plan, creation broke and sin entered the world. And in that moment, it ruined, it spoiled, it broke creation. And it also, this is so important, it also broke the way they felt About creation. No longer did they feel very good about God, about themselves, about each other, about creation. So now, today, it doesn't feel very good. It just doesn't. We feel depressed. Not constantly, you understand, but we feel depressed, we feel anxious. There are times that we just hate our bodies. There are times that we hate our very lives. And we have so many feelings, and so often, many of these feelings are not very good. My feelings about and my experience with God and His creation and yours as well, all of our experiences with God and about His creation, including ourselves, all of that is post, is after perfection. Once perfection ended, once the very good about everything ended, that's all we know. We have never experienced Very good, perpetually the way God designed it. We've never experienced that. Everything we've experienced has been after it was all broken. That's all we know. But at creation, his plan was perfect. And Adam and Eve, they felt perfect about his plan and about his creation. So here we had Adam, a male, with an XY chromosome. He felt perfect about that. We had had Eve, a female, through and through, XX chromosomes. Perfect. She felt perfect about that. And each of them, individually, collectively, and respectively, each of them, as we understand in the New Covenant, they each reflected perfectly as designed by God, God's image. She did and he did. Wow. I want to I want to shift gears just a minute. We'll be right back to this. But we have a tendency to confuse what God has created in male and female. We have a tendency to to confuse the sex that he has created with what other people think as how that sex should go about and live in this world. Um, So another way to word that is we get our sex confused with gender stereotypes. So I want to touch on this just for a moment before we move on. At creation, we find God's design for the sexes. At creation. But we don't find at creation gender stereotypes. And a stereotype is has really has no part of what God is calling moral immoral. It has a gender stereotype is not part of God's morality, but we get those confused. And a lot of what we believe today about gender is something we learn in our culture, and it's a stereotype, meaning that there are certain characteristics in our culture that it seems that a lot of men have in common, but not all men. And there are certain things that in our culture that a lot of ladies have a tendency to have in common, a lot of women, but not all women. And so it makes it a stereotype, which says, many, but not all, many, but not all. And one thing about stereotypes is, whereas what we're talking about is anchored to God, stereotypes are anchored to culture. What people say, this is normal for today. Let me let me give you an it's, it's It changes. Stereotypes change with culture. If you have seen on Facebook or if you've been through one, um, they have these things called gender reveals, all right? Some of you probably have done that. Um, uh so if you're having a gender reveal and uh, you're, you're having a little girl, what color is everything that pops out? It's pink, right? So if you're preparing a, a, a nursery, a room, and you know you're having a little boy, out of the two colors that are typically available in our culture, pink or blue, what color are you going to paint that little boy's room? Blue, probably, right? Okay. So, so here, here's that wouldn't have been the case a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, in uh, 1918-ish, um, that was not the case. In 1918, here's what they said in a trade publication for it was uh, uh, for children, uh, uh, parents of children. Here's what they said. It was Earnshaw's Infants Department. Here's what they claimed. It says, generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. And they go on, they explain the reason. The reason is that pink, being a more decided and stronger color, is more suitable for a boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. This was 100 years ago in our culture. That was the common stereotype, that little boys wore pink, little girls wore blue. That's not the stereotype today, right? It changes with, stereotypes change with culture. Here's another stereotype. Who handles things in and about the house? Here we go. So typically, we find often that men kind of uh, are earmarked as uh, maybe a main money maker and maybe handling some business. Not everyone, but in many cases that women manage children they manage cooking they manage the home so men kind of work and they get out there and they work the land and they hunt and they provide and women get out there and they work the children and they work the house and that this is a stereotype we have a tendency to equate our culture with gender roles in scripture And we have a tendency to take our history and our culture and we have a tendency to make that God's history. So I present this to you guys. If you don't like to hunt and if you don't like to kill things, it's okay. It really is okay. I mean, gentlemen, if you would rather be elbows deep in some spices and a new recipe and cooking something up, as best we can tell, that, that's okay. That, that's just fine. Ladies, if you don't like to fix up, if you don't like makeup and you don't like heels, you don't like, if you don't like that, I, if, if perhaps maybe you like sports more than you like meeting up with girlfriends, listen, that's great. That is perfectly okay. These are all, these are all cultural stereotypes they're not commands, they're not even really suggestions, not at all. You see, these things that, many of these things we've developed that are masculine and feminine stereotypes, they are defined by our culture, they're not defined by God. Let me give you a couple of examples. There's, in, in the Old Covenant, there's a couple of very famous people, brothers named Jacob and Esau, And as the Bible describes who Esau is, and he was the firstborn, uh, the the Bible describes Esau as a manly man, uh, super hairy, as rugged, as tough. He's a hunter. According to us, we look at Esau and the description of him, and we say, that's a man. And then the Bible goes on to describe his brother, who is uh, Jacob. And Jacob is described as someone who likes to stay indoors. He likes to cook. He likes to hang around his mom and hang around uh, the other the sisters, the, the, the ladies there. And it also describes him as a bit soft. Now, according to our culture, we look at that and we say, that's not very manly. But we're looking at gender, our culture's gender stereotypes. But my question is, which one of those two men did... God decide to send his bloodline through for Jesus. And the answer of that is is through the one that does not match our manly stereotype for men today. He sent it through Jacob, not through Esau. Because that's just a stereotype. And stereotypes are really not important to God. They have to do with our culture, not his culture in that scenario. I love the Proverbs 31 woman. I love that description in Proverbs of a woman. But the the truth is, when you look at it, it really doesn't fit what comes to mind when we think of our stereotype for a woman in, in our culture. It talks as much about about her um, involvement with business, it talks about her involvement with purchasing and developing real estate. It talks about her involvement with farming and how she was the farmer. It talks about more than, it talks about how she had strong arms, not about how she had a dainty ladylike walk. So that doesn't fit our stereotype. Very interesting. Because they are stereotypes, meaning that culturally, for us right now, many people, many men fit that stereotype, but not all. And it means many women fit that stereotype of women, but not all. And this is an important, important thing. God doesn't command us to be male and female according to the current cultural stereotype. That's not what we're commanded. Now, I can go on and on about masculine and feminine stereotypes, but I just want to present this idea to you. We don't have time for that, but I want to give you one last one. Jesus, in the New Covenant times, that first century... Many of his bills were paid, according to the New Covenant, many of his bills were paid by women who had an income. I just throw that out. We have stereotypes, and we have applied them often unilaterally to Scripture when God doesn't necessarily do that. Gender stereotypes of our culture don't seem to be important to God. You know what is a bigger issue for God? And we have a lot of proof for this. A much bigger issue for God and for each sex, male and female, is for them to be living the image of God. That's a big deal for God. A heart that seeks after his plan. That's a big deal for God. Not conforming to what our culture says. This is how all the ladies should act. This is how all the men should act. No. Much more than that. it is conforming our hearts to the very heart of God. Now, we do see some specific commands in the new covenant uh, 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 to the sexes. We see that. But I do want to draw your attention very quickly to that. Most of what we find, most of what we find in the new covenant are commands given to the different sexes, to men and then separately in other places to women. But most of what we find at different places in the New Covenant are the, are the very same things applied to both. There are very few instances where that's not the case. There are instances, but there are very few. The simple truth is this. And here's my point in bringing up this. It, it comes to this. What I'm about to say goes against our human tradition. And certainly, uh, we could include in that our church tradition. The more we, as followers of Jesus, as a church, the more we equate gender stereotypes with Scripture, saying that's gender stereotype, this cultural expectation is what God expects. The more we do that, the more we're going to add to gender dysphoria. It's just a reality. The more we equate when we say this this cultural expectation of the way men act, this cultural expectation of the way the women act, that's what God is saying too. When he did not equate the two, the more we are going to add to the problem of gender dysphoria. But let's go back to Adam and Eve. So God created male, Adam. He created Eve, woman. And that's how he creates us. And now God has a plan for this person called Adam and this lady called Eve. He has a plan and he has a purpose for that man and woman. We're going to see that in that second verse. We start in 27. Here's verse 28. Then God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now Jesus Was at creation creating, that's what we're told, in the new covenant. And now we find him, in this moment, verse 28, he's now creating what he wants creation to do. And so he's kind of laying it out there. He says, listen, I'm creating you, Adam and Eve, I'm creating male and female, and now we're going to create this new thing called marriage. So I'm going to take a man, I'm going to take a woman, and we find God's creation for marriage. And then there's this special feature of marriage, very special feature. It's this physical relationship that is housed in this safe environment called marriage. And again, it's God's design for marriage, and the result then becomes a family. That's the result. And then from that family, there's going to be some Male babies, there's going to be some female babies, and some of those will stay single, some of those will go on and get married. But they are, those male babies, those female babies are equally important, equally created in God's image. Some married, some not married. And for those that get married, God says, Here we go. We got a man and we got a woman. We bring them together in in a marriage, and then there's a physical relationship protected inside that marriage, and that marriage. Then a family results. And that new family, that's, that's, that's kind of how God set up this whole process, how he designed it, how he created it when he created Adam and Eve. Now I want us to jump to the new covenant. Now we're going to take a look. So G- we saw Jesus at creation creating. Now we're going to Jesus in the new covenant, and he's going to point back now to that creation as he's talking in the first century. And he's going to clarify once again this thing called marriage, and this thing called family that involves this physical relationship we're talking about. And here he is in Matthew chapter 19, quote from Jesus. Uh, the, the, the question was brought up from another angle, but the information is the same. He says, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains... And Jesus said, this, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So Jesus says, he said, okay, here's how it works. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, of that child, a man is a boy child. He's eventually going to leave his family. There's a, a girl child. She's eventually going to leave her family. They get married. They're inside that marriage is a protected physical relationship and the result is going to be they're going to have some boy babies, there's going to be some girl babies and then eventually one of their boy babies is going to leave the family and then from another family over here across town, someone's girl baby is going to leave their family and those two are going to come together get married and inside that marriage there will be a protected physical relationship and, and, and a family is going to result. They're going to have some boy babies, they're going to have some girl babies and he says it just repeats like that. It goes on and on and on and Here's the thing, as we see in scripture, that's the start of a family and that's the start of God's design of marriage and family and that protected physical relationship inside of that marriage. And as we look at what we find in the new covenant, we find that's really God's only plan for marriage and that's really God's only plan for a physical relationship. And so here's where this comes into our topic of purity. So we had to go all the way back there to get to where we are right here. All things about a physical relationship between humans fall into this category that we're calling personal morality. That's where we started this morning. All things related to a physical relationship between humans falls into this personal morality. And here's where we got to. A personal morality is everything that I think about and everything that I act out related to a physical relationship between humans. I want to say that again. Personal morality is everything that I think about and everything that I act out that's related to a physical relationship between humans. And this thing that we're calling morality, this thing we're calling purity, it's not defined by us, it's defined by the creator of those relationships. So things related, all things related to this physical relationship, which are special, and God created and reserved them to be experienced within this marriage, they start with my thoughts and your thoughts, and they end they end, with actions. So it starts here, and that's part of it as well, and it ends with an action. So from a thought all the way through action, that is what we're calling personal morality. So it's what we do with our bodies, It's what we dwell upon in our minds, and with that, God has a plan for purity. took us a long way around the barn to get there, didn't it? But that's how how we get to, to, to that. Now, here's the question. Why is it so tough for me to get on the same page with God about that? Because it is. Why is it so tough for all of us to say, yeah, God, I think that's right. Why is it so tough for us to agree with God that that is the way he has set it up and he's designed it? Why is it so tough for our culture that we live in to agree with God? Because plainly, what I have just said our culture does not agree with God. From what I have said, we all in various ways can also struggle with agreeing with God about that. And why is that so tough to agree with God? And here's why. Adam and Eve and creation, they were only perfect for a very short period of time. That's why. It was a very good period of time, but it was a very short period of time. And after Adam and Eve sinned, creation broke. It all broke. Everything about creation broke. And from then to right now, our feelings about God, they're all broken. This is so important to understand. Everything we feel about God somehow in some way is coming from a broken perspective. We are broken about that. And listen, it goes further than just our feelings about God. I don't think I have to convince you that our feelings about ourselves are broken. We are broken in the way that we perceive ourselves and what we feel about ourselves. So often it's broken and our feelings about the sex that God created us and his creation which we are that those feelings about ourselves those are broken and our feelings about physical relationships with with other humans those feelings about those relationships are broken and our feelings about attraction and how it all works they're all coming we We can only come and approach that from a point of brokenness because we are broken. And the only thing, the only thing that is not broken in all of this is God and his plan for our best life. But all my feelings, everything I feel about that, it's all broken and it's coming from brokenness. So here's where it gets tricky. Feelings. Here's what we have a tendency to do. If you're anything like me at all, here's my tendency with feelings. I usually choose to hang on to my feelings about all this stuff and ignore God's. I have a tendency to take what I feel about it and to elevate my feelings above God's plan. And I hang on to my feelings. And when I do that, I create a house of cards. That's what happens. A house of cards. When I hang on to my feelings, when I elevate my feelings and my preferences above his truth, Then I'm holding, I'm building a house of cards, and it's gonna look real nice for a while. It will look nice for a while, but eventually it's gonna give way because I'm building my life and my future on what I feel about it all. It's a house of cards. Rather than moving my life towards God's perspective and getting on the same page with God and using him as my foundation for building my relationships and functioning in this life and building my life on the materials that God provides. But if you're anything like me, we would rather elevate our own principles of sexuality based upon what we think they should be, what we think they are, what we think is fair or right or correct. And we say, yeah, 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 okay. This is how I think marriage should work. I I think marriage should work this way. This is how I think, this is what I think a family should be. This is what I think how the whole male and female thing should or should not work. That's what I think. And the end result, if I go with what I think, the end result is never going to be God's best. It's it's never going to be God's plan. And it's never going to be hitting that personal morality and that purity that God has designed for our lives. And you say, Harley, listen, it was everything I could do just to not get up and leave. I hope you hear my heart. You may say, Harley, you're just out of touch. That's just old fashioned. You're just out of touch. You're out of touch, Harley. And I would say, yeah, you're you're getting it. If that's what you you're you're beginning to get it, because what I'm saying is we're all out of touch. We are all out of touch with what God has designed and God has planned, because we're all broken. And I, 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 I can't explain to you with enough detail how I am broken and how I am out of touch with God's best for my life. It is a reality and it is true. And we all are. So here's where I kind of land on this whole God thing. I believe that if Jesus can come here and predict his own death and predict his own resurrection and pull it off, which he did. If Jesus can do that, then I'm just going to go with what Jesus says because he's already on a whole nother level than I'm ever going to be. So I'm going to go with what he says if he can predict his death and predict his resurrection and pull it off. And here's what Jesus believes. We read it this morning. That's what he believes. And so even if I don't understand it, I'm just going to kind of go with what Jesus believes and go with what Jesus said. Here's the design and here's the plan. And it's been communicated in the new covenant. It's been communicated with his words. And I think to myself, even if I don't understand it, and even if my perspective is broken, and it is, I think I can trust His because He loves us. He absolutely loves us and He didn't just say it but He proved it with His torture and His death and then He backed it up with His resurrection. So I think we can trust Him and I think we can honor Him and lean on Him as our gracious helper through all of this. And I'm going to do my best, and so is Cole, to present that plan that he's given us, even though Cole and myself, we have missed God's plan too in so many ways. But we want to make you a promise. I I want to promise you that I'm going to present this in the next few weeks as we talk about this. I'm going to present this as an imperfect sinner because that's all I am. That's me. That's my perspective. Who is doing his best, an imperfect sinner who's doing his best to chase after this loving, perfect Jesus. And I promise you, That Cole and I are going to do the best that we can to present the truth of Jesus with this unfailing love of Jesus at the same time. We can't present this truth without this unfailing love. And if we can add those together appropriately, that means we're going to present this truth of Jesus without shame from us, without judgment from us, without finger pointing, without preaching, without us adding on and heaping guilt upon people. No. If we can present this truth of Jesus with his with his unfathomable amount of love and grace that he has. His truth with love. Because we understand as we teach, as we open his scriptures and teach out of that, we're not talking about ideas. We're talking about people. People who have real families And people who have real hurts and real emotions and deep, deep hurts at times. And we're talking about people like me who sometimes have confusion. And who have darkness at times and struggles. And we're talking about a Jesus who knows each one of us by name and he knows every hurt, and he knows every fear, and he cares about those hurts and fears. And he cares about what we are experiencing and what we're feeling. And at the end of the day, with this series, we want to do our best to love and to care like Jesus. That's our goal. And so Jesus has given us this plan for personal morality. And we summarized it today. And so my question is, with this plan that we've summarized, how are we going to interact with that? And how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to interact with God about that? And now here's some things that, that we especially need to consider. What's gonna happen when I blow it? And I don't really have to say when. I can say what happened when I did blow it, because I have, and so have many of it. We've blown it. What happens? When I miss God's plan, and I miss it in devastating ways. What happens then? What happens next? Because we've all blown it. What happens after we fail? What happens next? And that's what we're going to begin talking about next week. Week number three of this series. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for holding on to ideas about family and our own ideas about marriage. Our own ideas about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. God, forgive us for holding on to our own ideas and our own plan. God, I pray that you would forgive us for me specifically, for holding on to my broken view of myself and my broken view of your plan and for... Me thinking that I know what's best and that I could do it better. God, forgive me for the many times that I thought that I had it all figured out and I was more concerned with the image I was projecting rather than becoming the image of you, Jesus. Father, what truth has been spoken here today, may you multiply that in willing hearts. And God, I especially ask, what truth I have confused today, would you bring clarity to us through this series? God, only you have it figured out. So we're asking that you would help us to understand what you want us to understand. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and we pray, amen.